Our scripture reading today comes from Mark, the fourth chapter, verses 26 through 29. He said, The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the land. He goes to bed at night and gets up in the morning, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He does not know. The ground produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. But as soon as the crop is ripe, he plies the sickle, because harvest time has come. This is the word of the Lord. Can I just begin by complimenting the music this morning? My goodness. Oh, now, wait a minute. This is the first service. You should never clap. Don't clap. Uh, and is it, is it Laura Lee? Is that how you say it? Now, Laura Lee, while you were playing, um, God spoke to me and said that he is leading you here. <laughs> Tim, you've got a commitment card? He's always got a... Tim's always got a commitment card, so if you want to come on, just, just, they're always great, but what you even added was just all the more enhancing and enchanting. It was just wonderful, so, so welcome, and, and so glad it's going to be permanent. So, no, I, uh, we'd love to have you. Now, why are we calling this new series, Oh, the Stories He Threw? Now, if you look at the cover, I love what Amy did. Amy is so good at doing these designs and everything. What, what does that remind you of right there? Can anybody know? What is it? Dr. Seuss? What, what's the title? Oh, the places you will go. And, and I didn't even think about how this series sounded just like a Dr. Seuss series, but she, she's right on target. Why would I call it that? I even quizzed the staff as to why am I calling it this series, and, and i finally kept having to give hints, and of course, Bible scholar Micah finally got it, so I owe him a lunch. But why would we call it, oh, the stories he threw? Uh, How would you, help me with this, this is kind of teacher mode right now, how would you define a parable? Just very simply, how would you define a parable? Story with a teaching, perfect. A story with a teaching, with a spiritual truth, Have any of you all ever heard uh, the definition of it by A.M. Hunter, the wonderful British scholar who calls it an earthly story with what? Does anybody know? A heavenly meaning. You know that. That's a wonderful, wonderful definition. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning that really hints as to why I'm calling it, oh, the stories he threw, because parables are stories, and stories can be a lot more memorable sometimes than just spouting out some truth. We should love one another or we should love all people. Well, you can say that, but sometimes Jesus knew it was better to tell a story like the Good Samaritan and flesh that out. Well, parable as a word, what does it mean in the Greek? Para, you get the word parallel, it means beside. Bolos is where you get words like ballistic. It means to throw. To tell a parable is to throw beside a spiritual truth. Are you with me on that? How many of y'all knew that? See, now you can take that home and bless people with it at work and everything. But yeah, parable literally means to throw beside. It's throwing a story beside a spiritual truth. And so we're going to talk about stories that Jesus threw to people and throws to us uh, in the days to come. And that's what's so wonderful, wonderful about parables. They pull us in and we learn something. Now I'm going to go ahead and give you 
in, in a sense, give you the spiritual truth to what we're talking about this morning and then throw this very, very brief story beside it later on. But the, the truth is trust that God is on the move in his kingdom. Trust that God is on the move in his kingdom. And I'll throw the story beside it in just a moment. But let's go back and, and look back over. Go ahead and put the first PowerPoint of verse up there, Philip, if you will. Let's just go back through these very, very brief verses that that gorgeous woman read just a moment ago. Uh, and I'll try to keep my attention on this. Uh, but but uh, before we do that, let, let me start with this verse from Hebrews 11.1. 1. You remember this is where he begins the, uh, uh, the heroes of the faith series. And some of you are very familiar with this passage. Now, faith is the confidence and what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. I've always loved Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase of it. Put that one up there, Philip. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. I like that. Faith is our handle on what we can't see, but our problem is sometimes we don't have a handle on our faith as we should. And that's the tough part. It's hard to do sometimes. Why? It's hard to trust sometimes. And we've got to trust that God is here and trust that God is on the move. And so Mark throws us this story. This is so interesting. It's the only parable that is unique to Mark. You only find it in Mark, and that's kind of strange. If you want to study parables, you don't go to the Gospel of Mark. It has the fewest parables of any of the four parables. I'm going to talk about this in my equipping group soon, by the way, because each of the uh, Gospels is so unique from one another. One of the very distinctive things about Mark is that Mark focuses a lot less on the sayings of Jesus than he does the actions of Jesus. So there, there are fewer parables in Mark anyway, but this is the one that's only in the Gospel of Mark, and it makes sense because it really is a parable about the God of action, the sovereign God who is on the move, and therefore the sovereign God whom you and I can trust. But sometimes it's hard, as it says up here, to get a handle on that faith, believing without seeing. Well, let's go to uh, 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 the, the passage, but I'm going to say, I've, I've got to confess to you this morning, um, and I try to avoid these sometimes. You know how uh, Pastor Garth, sometimes we try to have kind of an alliterative kind of thing. If we're a preacher, I have three points, and they kind of sound similar, like God's word transcends, and so we should transmit it, and it's transforming. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're guilty of that as charged, aren't you, just like me? Well, i got to admit to you, I'm going to go old-style Southern Baptist preach on you as far as our three points this morning. Here it is. God knows, God grows, and God shows. Forgive me, but there it is. God knows, God grows, and God shows. Say it with me. God knows, God grows, and God shows. Well, that's good. Let's just go home now. No. First of all, God knows. Let's look at the first uh, verses here, first two verses. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Key phrase there. Does not know how. And often, we don't know how. In fact, we don't know a lot about what's going on in the world sometimes. That's the bad news. We live in a chaotic, unpredictable, uncertain, messed up world, don't we? We really do. And the devil is throwing obstacles in our way all the time. Let me just do, let me go professor on you one more time and do one little word study. We talked about parabolos, means, uh, the bolos part means to throw. Somebody help me who had a Spanish. What's the Spanish word? I've talked about this before. What's the Spanish word for devil? Somebody help me. Diablo. Diablo. You know where it comes from? A Greek word, diabolos. There's that word throw again. 
But unlike parable that means to throw beside, diabolos, the word for the devil in the New Testament, means to throw in front of. Dia means in front of. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a great name for the devil? The one who throws obstacles in front of us, thereby keeping us from seeing what God's will for us is for us, uh, helping us not to see how we might be falling into sin, obstructions that keep us from from really doing what we need to be doing to glorify God and serve him in his kingdom all the more. Isn't that a good word for the devil? And he throws obstructions in our way all the time. What is yours right now? You know, is it financial? Is it personal? Is it relational? Is it some crisis you're facing, a health issue? It could be a number of things. Some task you have to perform that you don't want to perform. Some new step you need to take that you don't want to take. And really the devil is keeping you from that. It can be paralyzing sometimes. And that's why Jesus tells this very brief parable really at the very beginning of his ministry because things are already going bad. (laughs) Already obstacles he's facing. If you go back one chapter in Mark chapter 3, already the scribes accuse him of being possessed by Beelzebul, by the devil. Also, it says in Mark chapter 3, already the Herodians and the Pharisees are plotting to kill him. This is early on in his ministry. Bad things are already going on. Obstructions are already occurring. The disciples are wondering why he isn't getting his earthly kingdom going, that earthly political kingdom that they think that he's about. Even if you look in Mark chapter 3, his family wants to go retrieve him and hide him in the attic. Uh, twice, you know, they come up and just say, hey, come on, let, let's go home. You know, bless your heart, Jesus, who, who are you anyway? And they don't know. And it's funny, after Jesus tells this parable, what's the immediate thing they do? They cross the Sea of Galilee, but a terrible storm hits. And after that, they come upon the Gerardine demoniac in the grave, the graveyard. So already Jesus is needing to tell people God is sovereign, God is on the move, rest assured, and trust. Get a handle on this faith. So that's why even out of the chute, he starts talking about God's sovereignty. Because a lot of times, you know, life is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen next. But the good news is God knows. God does know. So don't let obstacles get in your way. I don't know if Kathy Cash is here, and I hope she doesn't mind my sharing this, but more than once, Bill Cash. Do you remember Bill Cash? Just a class A guy, a great leader in this church. Passed away due to cancer, but I remember him standing up here more than once sharing from up here, you know, in Grace Along the Journey and in other contexts. I remember him saying, you know, there's just not enough, you know, time you should dwell on the question, how did this happen? Why is this happening? And I remember him saying, you know, why is this happening? I don't know, but you know what? God knows. What's going to happen with this? I don't know, but you know what? God knows. You know, God does. I don't. And he said, I find solace in that. I find surpassing peace in that. I'll just never forgive that. And I remember him saying, whatever, you know, I'm going to be fine. I'll just always remember that. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but God knows God does you know he was a walking example we talked about Joseph through that series being a walking example of Romans 8 28 and all things God works for good so reminds me of that old hymn we're just going old Southern Baptist this morning does anybody know? I don't know about tomorrow I just live from day to day I don't borrow from its sunshine for its skies may turn to gray and I don't know about my future for I know what Jesus said and today he walks where beside me for he knows what lies ahead now how many of y'all know the refrain that is so good. Many things about tomorrow. How many of y'all could say that with me? Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know what? Who holds my hand? 
We don't know. (laughs) Very sporadic, chaotic, uncertain, confused world. But he knows. One reason to get a handle on that faith and trust in him. So God knows. Secondly, God grows. Let's go to verse 28. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. So it's growing on its own, growing on its own. All by itself is the key phrase there, all by itself. It's automate. Really the most important word in all the passage is automate, all by itself. It's where we get the word automatically. (laughs) In a sense, God is making it grow automatically by his own power. The kingdom grows in an irresistible power. To be honest, whether or not, we're even a part of it. But because of that, we should be motivated enough to hop on board and get moving with it. Now, it can seem slow to you and me. I know that. It can seem very unnoticeable. It can seem downright invisible. That's why Jesus told a lot of parables about how you're not going to see it all the time, but it's there. He talked about parables about, you know, the kingdom of God is like yeast and flour. You don't see it, but it is active and growing and on the move. And some of us have been at mission sites where the kingdom seems to be exploding. And it's such a blessing when you experience those. And sometimes it seems to be so subtle or it seems to be dragging. And you don't even see much happening at all. And you ask, how long is this going to take? Well, we need to keep in mind, and I'm just drawing from Scripture here, you know, the end is not going to come that blessed end, and I would love it if it was today, but I know it's not going to come today probably because Jesus said the end won't come until the gospel is preached to all nations. And I went to the WMU website, Women's Missionary Union. How many of y'all are friends or fans of the WMU? Please, you know, I don't know where Baptists would be without the blessed WMU. Just my opinion, but it's correct. Um, <laughs> WMU says on their website as of today, there are 6,829 unreached people groups in the world. That's a lot of people. It represents 2.74 billion people. That's a lot of folks. The majority of people groups have been reached, but not all of them by any stretch. But God is moving, and he wants us on board to be a part of that. No matter what the obstacles, God has his kingdom agenda, and it's moving, and we need to be a part of it. And sometimes, though, that stands in opposition to us. Now, what do I mean by that? Because that kind of gets to us because we want to control things, not not God. Have I ever said we're kind of a fix-it people? We can be a fix-it people. And and, and we're like that neurotic rooster who thinks that the sun isn't going to rise if he doesn't crow. You know what I'm saying? We're kind of like that rooster. It's going to come along anyway. You know, we can be agents of God's grace and vessels of evangelism, you know, instruments of his mission. But he's the one that makes it grow. And whenever we are blessed by seeing the kingdom You know, incredible things happening in the kingdom. Really, all credit goes to God. We're just so fortunate to be a part of this story and to be along for, yes, the ride. It's growing on its own, and it's moving forward. It's beyond our control, but that's good. So instead of worrying about the obstructions we face, and a lot of us have seen obstructions when we've been trying to do evangelism or especially missions, stay with it as long as you have breath and don't let the obstructions get in the way. I remember when I was in seminary reading about Billy Graham when he was overdoing his third revival in Paris. And Henri Tink, we would call him Henry, but he's Parisian, so we would call him Henri. He was editor of Le Monde, which is this very, um, gosh, what's a nice word? Very secular newspaper that's still in existence over there in Paris. And he began a story, and the byline, I mean the byline in bold was this. It was, it was a long byline. 
And he said, go back to America, Billy Graham, and forget your plans for France. We don't need someone who has parachuted into our country with a made-in-the-USA religious extravaganda that has no sensitivity to the French people. That was the title. (laughs) Welcome to Paris, you know. I mean, it wasn't very welcoming at all. So bad press going in for Billy Graham, and then at the same time there were bombers, terrorists in the Middle East who were uh, setting off bombs all throughout the city, trying to threaten the crusade, trying to uh, uh, just intimidate people from going, trying to keep people from going to the revival. It's the first and only time in history that people who went into a Billy Graham revival had to be frisked as they entered the Bercy Sports Arena. Billy Graham, when he first stepped up, to to keep it more positive, the first thing he said when he stepped up, he said, you're in the safest place in all of Paris. And they probably were because of the security they had to go through. But despite that obstacle, despite all those obstacles, despite the threats, uh, despite the diabolos trying to throw things in front of Billy Graham and all these Christians and all these folks who were seeking out God, 15,000 people came for eight nights and filled that arena A family of 11 Muslims wound up confessing faith in Christ on the final night. A woman who had attempted suicide twice during the past week gave her life to the Lord, really was healed, as she wrote about later. A Chinese Buddhist gave his life to Jesus during that week. In total, 13,544 people confessed Christ as Lord. In spite of resistance, in spite of discouragement, folks, the kingdom is coming. (laughs) It's coming. And it's growing in spite of any so-called obstacles out there. You know why? God is a lot bigger than Diabolos. A lot bigger. So trust and get on board. So God knows. God grows. And finally, does anybody remember the last one? God shows. Y'all staying with me. Thank you. Verse 29. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. I've talked before about my friend Lynn Smith, who I was at Sanford with, 4.0 student. I'll rem- I always remember this. She used to type my papers for me because I wasn't a good typist back then, and I would write it all out. She'd type it in no time and worked so hard, but she was an amazing, amazing student in the School of Education. But from the time that she was nine years old, she felt that God wanted her to go to Jordan to be a missionary. And sure enough, after she graduated from Sanford, she wound up serving for years as a missionary in Amman, Jordan. And I remember her saying more than once, both publicly and to me individually, she said, Jim, some days it's challenging. Some days it's really tough because she says, you know what, I'm not even planting seeds over there right now. I'm just removing the rocks. I'll never forget her saying that. But then she would always say, but God's moving. (laughs) But God's moving. She has a handle on her faith, and she had no doubt that in spite of the fact she's not even at the point of like this farmer planting a seed, she's just removing the rocks, but she knew and trusted that God was on the move, and through God, she did amazing things. In the seed itself is the irresistible power and movement of the gospel. We've got to trust that, especially as we do our mission work. Now, If Jesus were to tell you and me a parable today, because we don't have a lot of agricultural people in here, so I think he would would use a different image. A lot of us have been to the beach before, and I think if he was telling us this parable, he might use a a different different example. And so I'm going to play this video in just a second, because I think it captures what it's like to step into the awesome work of the kingdom of God 
This is a, a pretty famous guy named Laird Hamilton who is doing what he does best. It stops right there. It's funny. I sent that to Amy, and she just emailed back, does he make it through? He does. But I love that picture. I love how the camera is focused more on Laird Hamilton, but when it starts to pull back, you realize he is on a big wave, 65-foot breaker. And I think of us like that because I think like the wave, the kingdom is on the move, and I picture you and me as just being a droplet just a small drop on that huge, massive, ominous wave that we can call the kingdom of God. And it's there for us to catch. That wave is there for us to catch if only we would be open to doing so. And if we could really challenge our energy and trust, just like my friend Lynn Smith, I feel like right now on this mission trip or as I'm trying to be a witness to this neighbor or this person at work or somehow take a stand for Christ when I need to show what I truly value, I feel like maybe I'm just removing rocks or I'm just a small drop of water, but that makes such an incredible difference. You've got to trust that, which reminds me, let me move to another water image that I've always loved, and it's about a first century rabbi named Rabbi Akiva. He's a true true man from uh, the first century. One day he was shepherding some flocks and he noticed this little trickle of water that was coming down the hillside and he saw it going over a rock ledge and going down towards a river below. And he went over to the ledge and looked over and he noticed that this little trickle of water and it really just amounted to, to occasional drips. But it was dripping on this huge boulder But he was amazed because it had made this incredible deep impression, yea, a hole in this huge boulder. And he sensed God talking to him right at that moment. And he asked himself this question, if mere water can do this to a hard rock, how much more can God's word carve away into a heart of flesh? And see, you and I have the power because of Christ's power to do that on behalf of other people. Just as one drop of water can make a difference to move rock like that, when we are becoming witnesses for Christ, yes, we're a small drop on a huge, ominous wave, but he will use us. He will show. He will show up if we will just trust, if we will only trust him. I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a second. And I want you to think about something in your own life from the past or even now where you've thought, God, this is taking more time than I thought it would. I need a sign. I need, need some concrete evidence. I need some information. I need some guidance. I need some courage. I need some hope. I need some reconciliation with someone. And we can sometimes feel overwhelmed and we want so badly for things to happen more on our time, but God knows what's going on. You've got to trust that God knows what's going on. And he's growing his kingdom 
in his time, and that includes you. He is growing in his work in and through you, in his time, in his way. Trust that he's going to show up and that he's working in you even now. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. We recognize and confess this is a crazy, mixed up, confusing, uncertain world. Oftentimes our lives are crazy and chaotic and confusing, sometimes scary, sometimes disappointing. But you are with us. So may we trust. You're moving. (laughs) Help us to get on and move with you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.